Hello, and welcome to episode four of book four, titled The Captive of Arlo. I hope you enjoy it. Let's begin. Tell us, demanded Lord, Bro Lord Broco. Tell us, for we must hear the truth. Did you slay everyone in the village of Copperwheel? We champion humanity here, for it is time. It is as King Ansel would, would want. What was King Prenthook to do? He could speak the truth, that Toad and a handful of magic wielders did slay all the villagers, but he could not risk putting the authority against him. He could not say, the elves did it, nor the humans. To say such would result in war. For the elves had evidence, they must have had evidence all along, of the half-elves' complicity in the murder of other elves. Who knew? Perhaps this one blade itself had belonged to the elves before they turned it over to Charon. No, there was more evidence. The king was convinced of it. Enough evidence to ally the humans and the elves for the first time ever against the half-breeds in the developing war of the races. King Prenthook had lost the battle, even before it began. Well, demanded Lord Brokill, let's have it. Let's have the truth. It was me, replied King Prenthook. It was me and me alone. I was in the company of a dozen half-breeds. Half we went there to the village of Copperwheel to rob the place. We did not get, go in thinking that we would destroy the entire village. No, the woman, the woman whose blood I did spill, threatened to raise the alarm with the other villages along the aches. That is why I ran after her, to intercept her, to kill her. When I came back, for reasons I could not fathom, my fellow thieves killed all the other villagers within Commonweal, within Copperwheel. I was outraged. I could not suffer my foolish, bloodthirsty brethren any longer, so I killed them. My dozen fellow scoundrels I slaughtered. There you have it, the truth. He frowned. Charon and Lord Brokill gloated and beamed. Defeat had such a bad taste to it. That's all that I wanted to hear, declared Lord Brokill. And with that said, the humans, outraged, spat, picked up their weapons and gear and departed the company of half-breeds and at King Prenthook. Many found themselves entering the company of the clever lights. Immediately the elf Proto appeared. He whispered something in Lord Brokill's ear before dissolving, then in Lord Dample's ear. What was this frightful collusion between the elves and dwarves, wondered King Prenhook. What were the elves up to now? What had been whispered in those two, two ears? Had the elves planned their only defeat? Had they arranged for the death of Copperwheel and this war of the races even before Captain Prenthook was born? Even before the abomination of half-breeds was even a notion? Charon climbed down from the giant's shoulders. We have won the battle, he announced. The formidable alliance of half-breeds and humans, those who had beaten the elves and owned the Abyssine for a fortnight, had been dissolved. There might is no more. Now we enter Arlo. We enter Arlo and we take whatever treasures hidden away within. And the army of monsters, commanded by Charon and Candide, seeped into the village of Arlo like sewage water. Soon they were gone within the dead village. 
with only the occasional boot, the occasional hoot or shout to reveal their presence. Lord Dample of the company of dwarves that had arrived from the walled city of Micmac approached Lord Brokehill of the clever light dwarves. Lord Brokehill admitted, We came here while still in the dark. It appears our allies have preceded us. The elves have prepared for this day, though I can't help but think how many dwarves must die to save one elf. I like your method, claimed Lord Dample, fighting a battle without one drop of bloodshed. But that is where our brotherhood ends. Lord Brokehill snarled, You are responsible for killing Monk Cleverell. What's this you say? demanded the leader of the large dwarven contingent. I had no reason ever to slay a human-kissing, tree-hugging dwarf. Waste of an axe-wing. The truth is, you will be hanged as a traitor should you choose to return to Micmac, as will all your troops. The only thing that I, that will save your life is choosing to fight alongside us to, fit, to defend our storm. What is this boast? demanded Lord Dample. Every soldier here is loyal to me. They cannot think, or dare to think, to fail their king. What is this you speak? Do you denounce my king? We'll make quick work of killing every last one of you. What if I told you King Ansel lives? Do you know the truth? Only the Clavellites know the truth. King Ansel will sit on the throne once more. Sturm is the first to fall. You may join us, for we have access to Sturm. You may see for yourselves that Ansel lives. Soon you and your king must decide whether to support Ansel or perish in Ansel's dungeons. Lord Dample frowned. That can't be. It has been over forty years. Forty years since he was assassinated by the second in command and his sons assured control of the three kingdoms. Lord Brokehill acknowledged would you rather to finally have the truth, or be fed another lie? I have people within each stronghold, east and west, of the doors throughout the Abyssin. The king has been slain, the king of Sturm, King Trindel. In his place sits one close to King Ansel, one who will offer him the throne of Sturm, once the time is right. The new age has come, the clever lights have inherited it. What do you say? Are you brave enough to fight to to bring that about? I can't serve alongside you, even if what you say is true. I serve my king, King Sturdle, that sits on the throne of the city of Micmac. I want what the what he promises, a world of wealth and privilege. It's what my family deserves. I can't choose to forsake what it is to be a dwarf. I can't choose as your priests have chosen. Lord Broco came in close and said, whispering, The two brothers have been isolated by those closest to them. They fear everyone intends to kill them. They fear, for, they fear war when they should fear those advisors that have been by their side for decades. Your king fears you. You will be hanged in a fortnight. As says my people, closest to Sturdle. What do we do? asked Lord Dample. If it is true, if a coup has taken place, 
and my true king is being held captive by fear and mistrust, then my place at the gallows must most certainly follow. Lord Broco confided in Lord Dample. The clever lights go to Sturm to root out the brood of vipers, those dwarf lords that acted to kill him so long ago now. The clever lights despise luxury and bigotry and wealth. The clever lights welcome humans as equals. The clever lights prepare the world for the return of the King Ansel as ruler over the one nation. One dwarf going to war against another dwarf. That has not happened in a very long time. It can only happen when the victory over all dwarves is most certain and the regime change complete. All dwarves must choose as the clever lights have chosen. It is these alone King Ansel will accept. As for us, the first salvo, the clever lights march on Sturm. Sturm, the eldest and most revered of kingdoms owned by the dwarves. Sturm will open to us, exposing the rich vein of gold within. We have been called by Ansel himself. Sturm is where Ansel will govern the one nation ultimately. Lord Brokill winked at Lord Dample and smiled warmly. You need not march with us today. I'm not asking you to do that. You may kill us, Clever Lights. You may return without one death to Brendel. Though, should you go there, you must necessarily say goodbye to your family. Asterida will certainly kill them. But a time is coming. A new world for all dwarves. The old life... The old ways, those are no longer possible. Ansel expects more of his dwarves. Sturm must fall. Its walls must be breached. The dwarves are within six months of defeat there. Soon the treacherous dwarf lords, those who intended Ansel's death forty years ago, will be slain. The three kingdoms will not. Uh, the three kingdoms will fall, and the dwarves will suffer defeat. King Ansel is our only hope after that defeat. The one nation can only come from that, that defeat. The clever lights haven't the means or desire to wreck Sturm, but we side with those who do. You may choose, Ansel. You may choose another, but choose carefully, because it will affect you for the remainder of your life. What will it be? You know the secrets of Sturm. You and your fellow soldiers know. You know how we may arm ourselves with terrible weapons. You know the identity of those dwarf lords guilty of conspiring to kill King Ansel and back his sons. You have only to tell us these secrets. Do this, and your aid will be acknowledged. Your help rewarded. What do you say? I cannot possibly return to Mink No one declared a traitor will be allowed in Warflord and must be feared. The news that I did not slay the last of the clever lights will precede me. You may enter Sturm, you may take Sturm, but neither I or any dwarf will survive the morrow as a dwarf. The United Nation of the Dwarves, that will be the graveyard of the last of the dwarves. Lord Burkle sighed and assured the troubled Lord Dample, then go west to the Confederation, to Quakiutl. And, in a somber mood, 
Lord Dample and his troops commiserated throughout the night until the eastern sky grew crimson red in magenta. They fled west for the Lukaks to join those smart enough to flee the capricious and ambitious dwarf lords of the east, those smart enough to fear Ansel's impending wrath. Lord Brokaw grimaced. They were a capable force. We could have used their strength. One modest priest asked, Do you know any dwarf lords that must necessarily perish? Brokaw snarled. Me? Only the lord of the clever lights speaks the truth. Beware. I have only to point you out, and you'll be abducted and slain. Do you know your place, or are you like any other common dwarf? The, Protest, the modest priest did not run west after Lord Dample fast enough. Lord Brokill and his soldiers did not hesitate. They marched between midday. They marched before midday, heading due west, pursuing the river Manges, heading for Sturm. We have arrived, stated King Chase, as the king and the wizard and the precocious elf entered the Northwood village of Bloody Tunic. Celeste, the one mother, the priestess that oversaw the village, swiftly intercepted the, the trio. What is this? Why have you come? This is Bloody Tunic, a home for the misbegotten, a home for those searching, certainly not for those with aspirations to rule. You are not welcome here. King Chase insisted, you have the future of the Abbasine here. We would not have come had we believed differently. Pindar. The three visitors turned to see an elf teen female run up and jump into the arms of their unsuspecting companion. She smothered him with thousands of kisses. What is this? queried Belfasor, somewhat uncomfortable and not a little outraged. It is like I've been saying, responded King Chase. This is the future of the elf nation, as well as the future of the entire Abbasine. This is Pasco. This elf will carry Pinder's son, the one king that promises a new prosperity, not only for the revived elven race, but also for their brethren races throughout the Abbasine, a world of possibility for all three races, human, dwarf, and elf. This elven king, the son of these two, will end slavery and tyranny. I've thought about you, Pascal, grunt, grunted Pindar. He allowed his grip to soften, then traced his delicate thin fingers down the length of her arm. He finally took her hand in his, brought it to his lips, and gently kissed the back of it. And me, replied Pascal, tearing up as she looked into his eyes. I've been imagining you always since I first learned of our impossible mission. Celeste, taking a step back, marveled and smiled. In turn, the female elf cupped Pinder's face with her open hand, brought it in close, and kissed tenderly the corner of his mouth. I did not think love was possible, relayed Pinder. Love is not, returned Pasco. Only because we are not we only because we are open to the idea, I think. Elves that preceded us, the full blooded el elves as well as the saplings, they have no knowledge of love. 
They fear it. They're ignorant of its potential, not only for themselves, but for all the races throughout the, abyss, through, throughout the world. Some uphold humanity only because they have seen love in action among them. Celeste nodded vigorously. Visitors to Bloody Tunic, who are skeptical, have left this place, but not before being affected by love. What is this, I wonder, demanded Pindar, taking a step back. There is something welling up within me. Expectations, Pascal replied. It is hope. I know dread, like I can only fail, observed Pinder. He convulsed violently, as though he were drowning. There is a threat to us both. The two of us we must most surely perish. Not while you are in our own company, stressed King Chase. We know the prophecy. We know we appreciate your value. My nation cannot survive without you two, and certainly not without your son. Pascal noted, We are worthless. We are nothing of value to offer. We rob the Abyssine unless one thing happens. I know what must be done, answered Pindar, and he guided his slender finger from her creased forehead down between her engaging eyes, what touching the tip of her nose before resting it on the, the two on her two trembling lips. I do too, replied Pasco, tearing up, smiling. All right. We know what must be done, summed up King Chase. We will leave the two of you alone, so that you may conceive this child. Celeste shed a tear. Bloody Tunic is no better place for this miracle. Oh, it is a curiosity, Pasco was convinced. A curiosity how humans produce other younger humans. I don't really appreciate it, how's it how it's done, I must tell you. I assure you, replied the king of the Wukdu, I don't know how such a crude, vulgar, even silly act can in, in itself produce a human child. Yes, and certainly not a man who would grow up to be king. It must be some crime, something odious, like murder. It is, replied Belfasor. The act of conceiving is an act of cruel violence. Pasco shook like a wind chime, a flickering filament, a blaze. No, the act of conceiving, maybe not. The act of conceiving the one and future king of the elves, maybe that has been done. Maybe that is out of, of, of our hands. Wait, yes, yes it is. Oh, but how, King Chase had to know. Why, I think I know. I had the idea of it. The idea of him deposited in my own alien hostile womb. Really, remarked King Chase, that is all that that would take. Pinder added, it is as odd as it is familiar. I don't expect you humans to appreciate it. We were a family before. That's how life is for ourselves. 
We meant an eternity has been. Now, isn't that right, Pasco? Are you now aware of us? It is the truth, answered Pindar. It is emerging now out of the shadows, Pasco and Pindar and her own child. We were together, the seven of us total, our own family since the very beginning, when the Abyssine was form, forged from the fires of creation, we were together, the seven of us, till that fateful day, as must transpire for all eternal beings, the day our youngest daughter did inter intercept us, other six, and did slay us. We did take separate paths, these two millennia, until we arrived, this joyful union, the three of us, here, now. Yes, I had the idea of him, the memory of him, our own son. It is who he was, who he will become, one and the same. Pascal ruminated, yes, it was not possible. Our son could not be, reality could not be, till the two of us were reunited and the line of events and of lives, of history and of potential for ourselves, but also for all the persons throughout the entire Abyssin was restored. Yes, beamed Pindar, it couldn't happen before, not without the two of us being together. What's more, added Pasco, our son could not be revived, not without these peculiar qualities, not without hope, nor without love, such stubborn needs, such stubborn seeds. Don't shame yourself, said King Chase. Some humans go their entire lives without ever experiencing hope or love. You have certainly benefited from one being to another you have. And Belfasor interjected, and there are those humans born out of despair, and not hope, and out of hate, and not love. I certainly envy you this, what you must have. Celeste smiled and danced, extending her arms, the silk sleeves flapping. My God is clearly victorious, here, not so fast. And Couvray, a former mayor of a village of the Northwood, once a faithful convert, rushed past the wizard Belfasor and the king of the Wukdu chase, and Celeste, the one mother. He knocked Pindar aside and forced the pregnant Pasco to the ground. He was breathing hard and sneering as he stood over her. Humbled, silent pilgrims were being drawn to view Covery's treachery. What's this about? demanded Celeste. You wound me. You wound our own, our one god. Couvre snarled, Our God? Our God? Our God doesn't exist. Not unless he is some idea fixed in two elves' heads. No, there is only my God, the God that will destroy your pathetic God. My God that is threatened by the existence of that elf in your womb. Belfasar was about to descend upon Couvre and defend the, the unborn child, saying, you should not deny me my hope. That threat you make makes me the most deadly. P 
Pindar intercepted him and assured him in a whisper, No, hold back. We must watch this play out. Let's see what love can do. Otherwise, all may as well be lost. Other pilgrims stepped forward, emboldened by Kuvray's success and the inaction of the others. Go on, instructed Kuvray. Go on, take your knives, swipe your blades with the elf line I have here. The pilgrims did as they were told. They took their daggers, then passed the vial of gooey elf lime one to another, placing the contents on the slender blades. And that concludes episode four of book four, titled The Captive of Arlo. I hope you enjoyed it, and I'll have episode five available next week. Until then, goodbye for now. Thank you.